Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. Everybody! Welcome back to the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I'm here with Kristen Brown. Kristen, I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, my ultimate pleasure, Andy. I cannot wait for our conversation. This is going to be awesome. Kristen, so I want to introduce you. So Kristen is a self-worth recovery and relationship healing author, mentor, and speaker. Her inspired mission is to bring awareness and healing to the underlying causes of dysfunctional relationship patterns to experience real love connection. So that's the bio um, that that I got from you. But do you want to introduce yourself a little bit more? I mean, tell me more about your work, what you do, how you got into it. Um, You have a book coming out soon. I want to talk about that later in the podcast. So everybody that um, may may define themselves or or think that they are a people pleaser, that is the the topic of Kristen's upcoming Mm. book. Um, Let's talk about the basics, your work. Um, what you do, how you got started doing it. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to wonder how far back I should go. Well, I will say this, that I feel like a lot of us are put on this earth with a particular gift or talent or mission or something. And my mission has always been since I was as young as I could possibly remember was to help people not suffer. Like I just did not like to watch people suffer. I was that person that swooped in strangers, whoever, you know, anything. I just didn't want people to suffer. So fast forward. Oh, and another part of that was that I really like to make people feel good. So I, you know, my, I had a dad that was one of his most biggest priorities was sending us to college. So I would have had my college paid for, and I went to a couple of years. I went to community college, and then I went to the university here at Arizona state. And I was in there one semester and I knew that I just wanted to do hair because I'd been doing hair since I was in sixth grade, which I feel like is my other thing. So I dropped out of college and I went to beauty school and I became a hairdresser. And I did that for probably 29 years. And I loved every minute of it. It was absolutely the best career for me. It was perfect. I thrived in it. I was extremely successful. But if you notice the the running theme here is me wanting to help others and me mm-hmm. wanting others to feel good. So mm-hmm. I've always been someone who's very connected to spirituality, even though it was not in a religious aspect. It was just in the uh, the general feeling and essence of what's out there in the universe. And I left my religion of choice, not my religion of choice, the original that was assigned to me when I was about 14 years old, even though my family wasn't hardcore or gung-ho or anything like that. It just felt like a fear-based yucky thing to me around 14. I was like, this is a little weird. And I, you know, kind of slunk out of church one day after giving my, I don't even know what it's called, penance (laughs) after, after you give your, uh, you know, you confess your sins. And I was like, what am I doing? And I remember slinking out of that church thinking something just didn't feel right to me, but that's just me. So 
um, yeah. So fast forward, just all through life, I've always been a seeker. I've always wanted to feel better and find peace. And I've had tremendous amounts of drama and trauma throughout my entire life. And starting when I was 11 years old and my, one of my older brothers was killed in a car accident with a head injury. And so things just, you know, life just took on a whole different meaning to me. So fast forward to 2009, 10, when I had attracted and married yet another toxic person, another dysfunctional relationship where I was not treated equally as I was treating them. And this actually wasn't just another ending or another divorce. This was a blow up of my life as I knew it, where I, uh, you know, I'm someone who's worked since I was 15 and I found myself in and had a great credit rating, never missed a bill. And I found myself in a about to be homeless situation with three children in tow. Um, my husband had cheated and he abandoned the family and he stayed actually absent from my youngest, which is our biological child together, absent from her life from seven years after this. So basically I, my life, I called it was swept away like a big tsunami. So I call that area of my life, my tsunami, but after a big storm, there's always a clearing. So during that time, I really was like, I cannot for the love of God, go through another shitty relationship again. I can't do it. And I vowed to remain single and celibate for as long as it took. Now, that may sound like nothing to some people, but I've had relationships since I was 15 years old. First love was 15. I think there was one year in there between maybe 20 and 21 where I didn't have a quote boyfriend, but every, you know, I've always had something in my life and I said, something's wrong. I'm obviously the common denominator here. So I need to figure out what this was. So I took, I didn't know it was going to be two years, but that's what it was. And I vowed to remain single and celibate. I do mention celibate because single could mean that you're out there, you know, playing around. I didn't even have coffee with a male. And I just really got into myself and healed, which I didn't even know that's what I was doing. I didn't use any of this terminology back then. To me, it was, I need to fix this problem. Right. And what came on the other side of this was tr this tremendous amount of what I now call healing and returning to my self-worth, which actually led me to where I am today and teaching and writing books and, and talking and doing all the things that I do. Oh, that's beautiful. I relate to a lot of that story. And I mean, I think that a lot of the listeners will as well, especially when it comes to relationships and people that want to enter into relationships. And when you said this might not sound like a big deal to some, you know, it's interesting that a lot of times because like relating and, and coupling and having children and getting married is, is so purported by our society, like this is what you're supposed to do. And this is how it's supposed to be when somebody's in a relationship and then in another one and then in another one, nobody questions how how close is that person to themselves? Like yeah, how absolutely. how much do they know about themselves? How much are they? And I, I mean, I'm about the opposite of, of you and the fact that I was a, a serial isolationist. Like, and, and so being in a relationship for me is very difficult. And I'm, I think that there's just like, I love to have conversations with people that have similar and yet different experiences, because I think we're all here on the hero's journey on the path of healing. And, um, you know, I got to ask you, because I think it's interesting that you, um, that you had a career as a hairdresser for as long as you did, you know, I don't know if you knew that I was a bartender for many years. Um, God, I worked in customer service 20 years. And, and, you know, it seems like the theme of service 
is is always still there like the the light like i don't know if this is this way for you i guess i would love to know uh, for me it was always that there there was always a theme of service no matter what it was i was still serving humans and i think that that was very apparent in my early life do you feel that way Oh, for sure. I mean, as long as I can even remember, you know, I was the person that went and talked to the child that nobody was talking to. You know, mm -hmm. I was the one that took home the stray pets and, you know, I, yes, it's always been some type of, and I call that service, even mm -hmm. though it was rooted in love and other things, it was, it was really serving because that is a choice, right? We, we have that choice, whether we want to do that or not, because some people don't want to do that and that's okay. But mm -hmm. I've always been that way. Yeah. I've always wanted to help people make them feel better. So it's, it's, let's go back to, because this is super noble. And like when we live our existence and we want, and, and we want that so deeply, like that's what we want to do. And you find yourself in, I liked the way that you said yet another uh, toxic relationship, the, the one that caused the tsunami. Um, and I'm curious as to what what became your awareness about that situation? Like, what did you discover about yourself and and what were your realizations there as you entered into that healing journey and through that healing journey? That's such an amazing question. Absolutely. So when I use the word common denominator, here's the shocker is that my quote narcissistic because, you know, everybody calls everybody narcissist. So I always quote that. Um, and and, you know he, he was a addict and, you know, he used a lot of alcohol and he was physically abusive and he cheated. So, you know, this was clearly toxic. Right. right. But at the end of this, he told me that I was a denominator. So in some argument with me in attempts to, to make me wrong for all of his bad behavior, because you know, I was, I'm recovering people pleaser. I was not doing things that were uncool. And, um, he, all those things, he said, you're the common denominator. Of course, he said it was scorn and contempt in the hopes of, you know, making me feel bad about myself. And I just, I literally, I was like, whatever. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the problem. But about a year or two afterwards, I think it was about a year later that I was standing in my room and those words came in my head. You are the common denominator. And instead of fight them and try to make him wrong, I thought about them. And I was like, well, God diggity dog, he's right. I, I am the common denominator. Oh. Oh. I am the I am the one. I mean, so this was me not, you know, taking the blame off of him because that was my old pattern was continually blaming. And let's let's face it, you know, people do crappy things. So yes, what they're doing is not okay. Like I'm, this is I none of this is to say that anything that anybody does that's crappy to us is okay. It's not okay. But what I was doing was focusing on it being their problem. And what that was doing was making me powerless. So as soon as I start, started to own my piece of the equation, I remember saying, how have these men treated me? And I could list it off. I was like, disrespected, dishonored, used, abused, um, lied to, um, not protected, not supported. I could list all of this off. And then there was a voice in my head that I've now come to know as God and say, now, how have you done this to you? And I sat there. I remember the day. I remember the time I could tell you where I was standing in the room. I can remember the time of day it was where the sun was in the sky. And I was looking out the window and I said, I've disrespected myself by this and dishonored myself by that and didn't protect myself by this. Okay. And I and it just became so apparent to me that my relationships had mirrored my insides. My wow. relationships had mirrored how I had treated myself. And so now I put myself back in the driver's seat. And I think a lot of 
what people do is they start to feel shame at that point. Oh no, I suck. I did, you know, I did this to me. Woe is me pity party. This is that's, that's just continuing the cycle when we do that because it's shame and unworthiness that is keeping us in this place. So what I did at that point was I was like, wow, wow. And to me, it was an answer, Andy. I was like, this makes sense because I wanted to get somewhere. And this was getting me somewhere. Like this was, this was a, a pivot in my journey, I literally pivoted and saw a completely different perspective. Oh, wow. You know, that's so cool though. Like as I hear your words and I'm like, you said I had the voice in my head, which I now come to know as God. And as we think about like God guru and self being the same Ramana Maharshi, like you became, you went from being the, the, the victim, the person that was in the experience to being the observer. And I love the way you say like this, the time of day, the sun in the sky, where I was standing, like ultimate observer moment. Um, I have like a, I had a moment like that. I was in a relationship with somebody that I, I think that I would consider air quotes a narcissist as well. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that it was, and he left me at an airport in the middle of the night without a flight home. And that was what uh, kind of catapulted my, um, the beginning of my transformation. And it was the same moment. It was the, I, 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 I am responsible for all of this. This is a reflection of how I feel about myself. And now I'm in the driver's seat. I can drive myself out of this. And it's like that, that full power rather than the, my marriage is crumbling. I am a victim. Everything is, is going to hell. Like I wasn't married, but you know, there are people that I have, that I've worked with that have been married and not all marriages, you know, not everybody that goes to seek help in their marriage is going to stay married because some marriages aren't meant to, to remain. And unfortunately, you know, like, I mean, like a divorce isn't necessarily a bad thing. A divorce might be no. just something that you have to go through. And it's just interesting that you, that I love the shift. I love the, holy shit, I'm unlimited power. Like I, I am like my higher self is here and, I, and I'm going to drive out of this. Like I'm, tell me more about the people pleasing. I, I cause yeah. I know that the book is about the people pleasing and I, I, I rattled off the title, but I want to hear more about your people pleasing okay. story. And then we'll talk more about the book in a little bit, but like, okay. but- can I just touched on two things that you said that were just yeah. so powerful and one is victim and victory. So I, I remember because I was such the victim, I was such the victim. Oh, I've been physically, abused and cheated on and lied to and nah, nah, nah. and I was you know I was bitter after the end of that of my tsunami relationship I was bitter I was you're gonna love this Andy I was standing in a Starbucks line and every man I would look at I was like what did you do to your wife asshole I mean this is the dialogue that was in my brain I yeah I passed a little kid on the street and I love children's first of all I really love little boys like not in a weird way I just love kids. I have three. I mean, I was the one playing with everybody, everybody else's kids all the time. Right. And I, I remember a four of like probably a four-year-old walking past me. I'm like, yeah, what kind of douche are you going to grow up to be? And I caught myself. I was like, what the hell? Yeah. I'm like, what is going on with me? Like that was so unlike me to think those things. Cause I'm always like seeing the good in everybody and celebrating everybody's stuff. And when I noticed myself saying that, I was like, girlfriend, what is happening here? So two things happened. One is I realized that I was in victim mentality and I'm like, you are such a victim and you are so allowing this. Now 
I always have to say this. Yes, we are victimized and I don't want to discount anything that's happened to anybody. So when I'm saying this is really just about mental spaces and my mental space was victim pity party, poor me, which is a very low vibrational space. And I was like, uh, uh, so I remember, I remember this crucial moment, Andy, and I'm sure you might be able to relate in some way, but I remember like literally standing over an abyss where I was looking into just like a, it looked like a well but it was just an abyss. Like it was a never ending abyss. And I called that abyss victimhood. And it was so alluring to stand there in my ego and my screw them. How dare them? You don't, you don't know what was done to me. You don't know what I've been through. And I remember if I fell into that abyss, then I was probably never going to get out. And it was in, it makes me tear up. It was in that moment that I said, F no, I am choosing victory. I am nobody's victim. I am choosing victory and just watch me go. So that was the one piece I wanted to talk about, but also when you owned your, you were telling us about staying in the airport and owning your taking responsibility. I literally teared up by you saying that because I don't feel like we can express enough how much ownership is going to change our life. It's it that really just that awareness. And when other, when I hear other people own stuff, I like, I literally have a visceral response to that. I'm like, yes, even though that was in, you know, you've already done that it was in your past. It's a story, but it still feels that powerful to me. Well, that you can make the shift that you can decide to be the victor and you can decide. And I, and I have people that I, that I work with one-on-one and people in my group. And, and I said this, and I say this to, to many people and I say, you know, like you said, things have happened to you. You have been the victim and, and there isn't peace in that. Like, like you can be the victim. Sure. I mean, you can, and, and yes, bad things have happened, but that's not where peace is. Right. Like peace is not there. And um, yeah, it's really powerful. The responsibility, the, the responsibility that, and I love the late great Wayne Dyer, like, it, you know, and it's not your fault, but now it is your responsibility. You must respond with ability. Absolutely. And, I have that quote in my book, actually. Do you really? And- yeah, I do. Well, not his quote. I have it from me because I have not heard it from Wayne Dyer, but I said, you know, you're not responsible for, or for what happened to you, but you're responsible to heal from it and something to that effect. But when you talk about peace, Andy, that's what, to be honest, my goal at, at first was not like to heal this pattern. It was peace. That was the first goal was I need to, I need to feel peace. And then it's shifted into other things. So it was, it was peace that in hindsight, I realized he healed everything else because I was so open and I'm so like, literally just take me spirit, help me. I'm open. I'm open. I'm open. And I feel like it's in that openness that we will get those awarenesses that will literally shift our life. But as I started to reclaim my peace, what I realized is that I had reclaimed my personal power. So it was all kind of interconnected for me. Mm. It's beautiful. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. I think we are a complete whole, you know, and a lot of times in any sort of, I don't, you know, I don't do necessarily tailored relationship coaching, but in all coaching, I, I think what I see is that people would like to tackle a problem or a piece. And there is an interconnectedness with all parts of our being. I mean, all parts. So just, just to be able to kind of come into that essence of like, I am now there. I am, I am powerful. I am myself. I am closer to myself. Um, I want to do, I want to, you know, there's a couple of things that you mentioned that you talk about in the book and you, and you mentioned some of the things we've talked about so far in terms of attracting 
toxic people and healing shame and, you know, not losing yourself as we've just spoken about. Um, tell me about like how it's all related to um, the being a people pleaser and, and, and with a sidebar that I yeah. am not a people pleaser. So like the psychology for me of the people pleaser is super important. And um, for my own benefit, I mean, I know that I've, I've definitely worked with many people, people pleasers through the years, but your perception from your perspective of what it's like to be a yeah. people pleaser and how this all kind of ties together. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so important how this comes to be, because when we understand the what and the why, the how to heal, it makes sense. And I actually wrote my book in that way. I wrote it in a part one, which is the what and the why. I have a different um, title for that than that. But then the part two is the how. It's really important to understand the what and the why so that the how to makes sense. And I wrote my book, actually, I actually feel like God wrote my book with me because it just started to lay out in a way in that particular way. And I was like, God, this makes so much sense. So here's how it goes. And I'll give you the small version of this. But basically, when we come to this earth and to this body, we're little souls that know nothing other than our unconditional love of source. But as we physically grow, what happens is our brainwave starts moving away from just the insides because we move from only delta phase, uh, I'm sorry, delta brainwave state, we move into theta and we also then we move into alpha and then we move into beta. Well, mm -hmm. as we are, quote, waking up to the outside world, we're stepping further away from our unconditional love that we knew when we came here. We knew nothing other than our worth. And it's as nothing we ever questioned. It's as natural as if knowing that we're going to have our next breath or that the sun is going to rise and it's going to fall. But as we start to wake up and our brain literally starts to wake up to the outside world and the ego starts to form, that's when we start taking in external messages. And those messages come via either our parents, it can be our friends, it can be a magazine we look at and how we process information, it can be our religions, it can be a TV show, it can be our comparison to other people. But we start to, to take in these messages that we're too much or we're not enough. And they can be more specific than that, but that's basically covers it. We're either too much or we're not enough in some area. Well, when that happens, we unconsciously believe that the outside world took away our worth. So we start to shift and morph and change to try to get back the love, approval, and acceptance that we wish we had, that we already mm -hmm. had. So we, we put on masks and we become people pleasers and we become over accommodating. We say we become yes men and we be we, we worry about the needs of everybody else other than our own. We put everybody above ourselves. So in doing that, what that is, is a very low vibrational state. So we can even be amazing human beings, but if we believe everybody comes before us and that we have to get our love, approval, and acceptance out there, then we are in a low vibe state because we do not have that loving energy inside of ourselves. So that low vibe state is a, a reciprocal match to the takers. The overgivers attract the overtakers. It's like a key mm. fitting a lock. It's like the positive and negative side of a magnet, right? They just, yeah. boop, they stick together. That's what it's like. So people call this the empath narcissist dynamic. Again, two words that I not super in love with. And I believe we're all empaths and we all read energy. I don't believe every person that's got some crappy behaviors is a narcissist. Okay. Right. But it, people typically shame and unworthiness that embeds in the, the human's brain will either process in a way that becomes 
hyper-dependent or hyper-independent. Mm. Okay. And usually, yeah. right. So it goes both ways because I, I believe that shame and unworthiness are the, are the plague on the planet. I believe all of us have it and it is returning back to unconditional love of source that is our journey. So that happens. But one of the ways that the shame and unworthiness translates in a human being is people-pleasing or doormat or codependency or hyperdependence. I mean, there's a million names for it and they all have their own uh, special definition. That's why I don't really like to find, I go very, very simple. And I talk about this in the book. I say giver and taker because that's about as clean as it can be. So it's we a, make it super, super like concise. It's a concise. Yeah. And I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just, the, the no, hyper fine dependence or independence. I mean, I, I think I mentioned earlier about complete isolationist independence. I didn't realize that that was a trauma response until like I, and, and I don't even mean big T trauma. Like, I mean, like I had like a lot of crappy things happen as a child. I, I wasn't, you know, raped, beaten, any of those things. I mean, nothing like massively, massively traumatic, yeah. but like a lot of small T trauma. And you know what? It wasn't until I um, studied positive intelligence that I realized that, oh, shit, actually, this this behavior is exactly the same protection of of self that I developed as somebody that would be um, a people pleaser. And, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of us believe that there's one supreme way of being. And it's like all of these ways that we th these programs that we develop, they served us at one point like pleasing served, served you as a child. I mean, and it probably serves you to a degree as an adult. It's just mm -hmm. knowing when it doesn't, you know, like mm -hmm. that's my, you know, my, my. Absolutely. And so for me, I had to heal the, the core wound of the shame and unworthiness that I was walking around in. And that's what started to happen in that two year time, which I call the college of Kristen in, in the college of Kristen, I just started notice that noticing that I was showing up differently. Like I was not responding the way I would typically respond in some type of getting behavior. I was just neutral. And I, I literally stopped dead in my tracks one day and I went, Oh my God, you are not organically responding like you used to what changed. And I asked myself that question. And the answer was, I feel worthy now. So no longer was I doing things unconsciously vying out there to try to get love, approval, or acceptance, or attention, because mm. I, I had returned to me and had given myself all those things. So I, any sort of needy or desperate behaviors were gone. They just started to disappear, and I became more of my whole self. And it was absolutely fascinating. So people think it's, um, you know, it's really complicated. It's really not a. Very, it's not a very complicated healing. What it is is a very dedicated healing. You have to really be dedicated to applying what I call the five self-love tenets to yourself. And when you apply those things to yourself, then you are actually returning to the true love of self, the unconditional love of self, which clears away this muddy lens and all these masks that we've been living from. And we become, we're still the same person because a lot of people are afraid they're going to change and they're not going to be the same, or they're going to become selfish or they're going to, no, 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 no. What happens is we become a cleaner, clearer calmer version of our authentic self. And we start to show up in a world that like the minute toxic walks in, it's like, oh, hell no. Like we can see that now where before we couldn't see it because vibrationally it felt right. We couldn't see it or we kind of saw it, but we hadn't, this is important to understand when we're not treating ourselves well, when somebody doesn't treat us well, we don't notice. 
we don't really notice. We kind of notice it's sort of in the, like, well, that wasn't very nice, but we're so used to treating ourselves that way. There is not a vibrational disconnection, but when we really, truly treat ourselves well, when someone comes in and has a little bit of that, we're like, oh, hell no. Like it stands out like a beacon where Mm -hmm. before it didn't really stand out like a beacon. Yeah. Because it, there's like also that kind of codependency a little bit. I mean, it kind of like just that, that need to, I mean, like if somebody's treating you poorly and you don't feel, and you feel shitty about yourself, then you're like, well, you know, I can, I can work towards um, getting them to treat me better. And Mm -hmm. like, for me, it became like in my relationships that were shitty, it was like, oh, let me work towards this. I'll just make this my own little project to make him either love me or change. And, And that was and that was just my experience with it, but it, it wasn't always readily like the red flags weren't so red, you know, they were kind of camouflaged in, in, in different aspects. Um, what did I wanted to ask you? I wanted to ask you about when you were going through that period, the two, the two years um, where you were really going through the, the, the major transformative, like healing, did you feel that, the, the like the body responds so the body responds to change and normally it responds to change very aggressively with a lot of anxiety a lot of pain a lot of shedding a lot of, like what did it feel like physically for you as you were going through that um that part where you weren't with anyone where you weren't dating where you weren't intimate with anyone I would say the opposite which is mm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. no I the more that I got into myself, the better I felt. In fact, I was going through a court case, you know, with my ex-husband. And of course, he didn't want to support us in this process of the divorce. And while I was, because I had retired from hair. That's the part I did. I left out. This is all in my book. Anybody who grabs my book is going to get the full story and everything that comes with it. But I had retired from hair because he was an international airline pilot and he was gone five to six weeks at a time. And now we had a small child and I was juggling the two older kids and, you know, their middle school and then this toddler and working full-time and doing the house and he's gone all the time. So basically I'm single again, but now with another child. And so he finally made enough money to, because I basically supported his career to where he could, I could stay home. So we decided that. So I retired from hair and hair is not something that you can go back into. It is a client building career, just like coaching is. And um, you got to sit for hours and hours and wait and wait and wait. So it was not like it could have saved my life. Right. And I couldn't have gone back to Starbucks to meet my needs. Um, you know, not gone back to, I never worked there, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like I, yeah. I could, um, so, but my body was absolutely on fire and I, I don't know if I should tell the story here or what, but I mean, I had this physical experience in the middle of the night that I was, I just knew my nervous system was, was, like I was going to have a nervous breakdown. I think it was one, to be honest with you. It just wasn't mm-hmm. emotional. It was physical. And so I had this thing happen. That's when I had to dedicated myself to peace. And I became a manifesting motherfucker. I mean, I was like, did I say manifesting? I meant meditating. <laughs> Wait, well, I mean, you know, I, I heard manifesting, but meditating, manifesting, it could all be the same thing, was, you know? Like. It was meditating and manifesting together. That's together, so funny. Manifesting. Wow. That's a cool slip. That was a cool slip though. Manifesting. (laughs) So anyway, I had to get my nervous system calm. So yes, I was on fire at first, but let me tell you, once I started met, say I almost said it again, manifesting. And once I started meditating the way I did, because my number, it was breath really, it was a lot of breathing work laying on the floor because I had 
I had some experiences with Kundalini Yona prior to that, that really, I left Kundalini yoga, like, like I was floating on a cloud and didn't have a care in the world. I was like, wow. So I remembered that experience. And I started to do that to myself. I started to do the deep breathing and the meditation and I became very, very calm. So for me, no, as I was shedding things, it was not, it was not like that for me. It was very calm and it was a very, very subtle shift that had I not looked back, I may not have noticed. Like I said, the, the, how I noticed I was healing was I was walking into my house and this guy I had dated briefly before I decided to do my, um, college of Kristen, my two years off, I dated briefly after my husband and he, another one, that was another one that just added to the list. And he had texted me and I just picked up my phone and looked at it and just shut it. I shut it like this. Cause it was a star tack. This is how long ago that was. <laughs> I remember, I remember phones that flipped. I, I remember, phone, but I remember looking and there was no drama. Like there was no emotion in me. There was no, I just looked at it and I went, Oh, and I shut my phone because I don't need to respond to that. And I was like, that's how subtle it happened. And I was yeah. like, oh, otherwise I'd have been like, oh, and, you know, typing away and trying to come up with something to get some type of response about something. I don't even remember what the text was about. And I just went, no. And I was like, whoa. So mine was a very, very subtle healing, very like, I can't even explain it. It came in as softly as like a gentle fly, a butterfly on the breeze. It was just, I just started waking up to this different person. I think that's what healing is. And, and a lot of people, I think, think there's going to be some moment where you're just filled with euphoria. And it's actually just when you don't react to things that you would have reacted to before. Amen. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like just the, and I, I've had that experience of looking at the text and it, and it's very much like, like Ram Nas would say, you know, milking the drama. Like we're not milking the drama anymore. It's almost very boring. It's it's just that yes. the things like that constriction in your solar plexus and the fiery and the, like you mentioned, brainwaves and and high beta. Like just living in that high beta and that 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 desire to let's see what he says and let's see what I say and like just the the uh, the, the the sensory of it all. And healing is not is not that. I, I mean, and I, I related a lot to what you were talking about. Um, it being the opposite. That's the way that I felt with alcohol. When I gave up alcohol, the first two years were um, fucking, fucking bliss because I had the experiences leading up to that bliss where it just like nothing could get worse than this. Like I can't get sicker than this. I can't get further away from my foolish potential than this. And so that, that healing felt just so very good. And of course, you know, after, you know, after the, the two years, you know, things started to surface, you know, I still work through, I'm still a human working on myself. Otherwise I wouldn't still be here in this body, but it, it was like that. And, and so completely not this um, moment of fireworks and like, set, like, it's not like you're going to be like walking down some runway and all these men are like gawking over you. And you're just like, oh. <laughs> Look at me now. Like, not, not like that. Like that's not happening. It's it's just you're just able to go through your life. Like you're able to just live and, and it doesn't feel like things are going to just oh like it just doesn't feel like imminent disaster every every two seconds. So so oh my yeah. God. I have so I've just wrote down three notes because you're killing me right here and I love every <laughs> but uh Tell me. Yeah. The first thing I want to say is there, I remember thinking there is no fanfare. 
There's no marching band. There's no fireworks, like nothing happens. And, but the one thing I did notice for sure, and I got confirmation later when I was listening to another spiritual teacher talk about this, I was like, yes, that's what happened to me. And they said that, you know, that what happens is, is that I'm still human. I still deal with things. I still have problems. I still have my suffering moments and all these things. Yet I get through them micro faster than I used to. They, what would have used to take maybe seven days or longer started to shorten. It was three days and then it was two days and it was 24 hours and then it was five minutes. So it's like, I just started strengthening certain spiritual muscles is really what I did. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's because it, you know, healing to me, is not like all of a sudden we're this perfect person by any means. No, I still make mistakes. I still have problems. I handle them so much easier. That was the one thing we're so used to being in drama all the time, like Dr. Joe Dispenza says that we get addicted to the chemicals that the brain produces being in drama. And that can be our baseline. So when we don't have those chemicals of drama going through, we think something's wrong. So initially, when we start entering into a peaceful zone, we might think something's wrong. And mm-hmm. because we're not having that same those same chemicals of drama come up. But man, when I get into that peaceful zone, what eventually happened is that that became my baseline. So when drama did come up, that felt uncomfortable rather than drama being my comfort and peace being my discomfort. It was like mm. the opposite shift happened. I love that you bring up Dr. I love Dr. Joe. Me like, too. I love I mean, Dr. Joe. Come on. He's the best. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating that that it became that drama was no longer the baseline. And that that is like that's what I, was, I think I was talking about. And when I mentioned the body and the responses, you know, Dr. Joe talks a lot about the body becomes the mind. Do you work with any um, clients? I, can I just are, are most of your clients women? No, actually, when I first started out, I started out thinking I was going to be a women's empowerment coach. But as you know, my business has shifted and morphed so many times over these past 10 years that really, no, right now, standing right now, my current clientele, I have more men than women, Mm, (laughs) which is interesting, but it's, it, what I've, you know, as I was going through this career and like determining what is it that I do and marketing experts are saying, narrow your niche and find out your thing and da, da, da. And I, I was like, you know, really what it truly boils down to, I call myself relationship healing and self-worth recovery. Why? Because we reheal our relationships through our self-worth recovery. That's really what it boils down to. But when I say the word relationship, people think I'm sitting here and I'm a couples counselor and therapist. No, I tried that like twice and I was, that was not for me. And, um, but really what it boils down to is that, like I said earlier, all of us are the walking wounded. Shame and unworthiness is the plague on the planet. And that is what we are healing in order so we can step into our whole self. So no, I do, I do coach men and women. Amazing. And self-worth recovery is, it's so right. And that's why I like, you know, like it's different than being a relationship counselor. Cause I think you go into relationship counseling with the objective to heal a relationship when it's self-worth recovery. It's like that relationship might be done. Like that might be over. You might be, you know, you might be finished with that. And that's exactly. just, um, so let's talk about the recovering people pleaser. Okay. I want to hear all about it. I want to hear about the book. <laughs> so 
my first book was called From Doormat to Sweet Empowerment. That was, I think I published in 2014. And I knew there was another book swirling inside of me. I just didn't know what, and I didn't know when. And I've learned by now enough to know that you can't force anything. You just have to let these things present in due time. So around January of last year, 20, what are we in? 2022, January, 2022, I said, I think that's ready to write my book. And I started it probably March one. I wrote the book in six months. It flew out of me. Like I can't even tell you. And I was just like, and some, and there was one chapter in there that wrote itself, which is very interesting because I did not have this chapter in my book and it started to, I started to write. I was like six pages in and I was like, what is this? And I was looking at this and I reread it and I went, oh, this is this. And so I put this whole other chapter in there. So I feel like I was really spirit, spirit led through this book. It is my absolute heart and soul. I, I love this book. I want to hold this book to my heart. I can't wait to see it in physical form. And I will say that I share a lot of, um, people might call it vulnerable, but it's kind of just me because I, I tend to be an open book myself, but there's a lot of vulnerable, honest stories in here relating to myself. And I do that because I feel like it is our stories that give people permission to own their stories. So I talk about a lot of personal things in there and situations that I had dealt with um, so that people can really relate and understand that I do know, I do know this feeling. I do know what you've been through. So it is, it is definitely, it is, I, I just can't explain it. I can, all I can say is that I cannot wait for this to get into the hands of the right people. And I say this in the preface, I say that I want people to go into this with an open heart and mind and to accept the best, adopt the best and leave the rest. If there's one sentence that works, no sentence that works, or you highlight the whole damn book. This is, you know, part of this journey is reclaiming our personal powers, becoming our own authorities and knowing what is right and true. So do I claim to be a guru? I know exactly where anybody's at on their journey or exactly what they need. No. But I do know that the principles that I share in this book are rooted in the highest energy of love and the highest energy of love has the capacity to shift people if they are open and willing. Oh, wow. It's beautiful. Tell me, like, I mean, you said a lot in, in all of that. I mean, what would you say, like, and, and this is kind of man, kind of on, on the on the subject of marketing, really, because, you know, we were talking about marketing guru reserve, but like if people were thinking about like three things that they could expect to like to to get by reading this book and, and if you could even do that because I know that's hard for me to do like it's hard for me to be like here's three things you're gonna get from this <laughs> you know but if you could say three things um what would you say that they are that that they could expect to, to take away from, from mm. reading well I'm going to come at this from two different places. One is that I really don't know where everybody's at in their journey. So I couldn't speculate to what they were going to take away. It's like when I read Return to Love from Marianne Williamson, I, you know, I, I only grasp part of it, but each time I read it, I grasp more. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, people are at all different spaces on their journey, but I will say the one thing I know for sure is they're going to feel seen and they're going to feel understood. And there's that piece of, right. There's that. Yeah. There's that, yeah. that piece of us that feels crazy because we don't know. And when somebody is like, no, I, I got you. I mean, the first, even the first paragraph, when people have read, I've sent my, my first 
chapter to people. This is after it was done. I'm like, tell me what you think. And I gave them just the first paragraph. They've all responded with this made me cry because the first paragraph is I am basically outlining who they are. I'm like, I see you soul sibling. That's the first sentence. Oh, that's so powerful. I wish that I, you know, there are times in my life that I could just think, oh, if, if somebody had said those words, because you do sometimes feel like you're crazy and that like, and especially as women, because we've just been socialized and even the strongest of us are still socialized to look outside, like look outside of yourself for the validation of what you are. And, mm-hmm. you know, even like with women's empowerment, it's like, oh, let's be powerful, but also look outside of yourself to see what you are and make sure you stack yourself up against everyone else. So you're always trying yeah. to like, be tougher, be stronger, you know, so that we can, we can kind of play in this patriarchal world, which doesn't really make a lot of sense in spiritual context, but then to have somebody to be able to relate. And I I think that this is cool. Like in terms of like the title, very much a guide, you know, like when you say, you don't like you can, you know, you don't know where people are at on their journey and you might be able to get different pieces. That's what a guide is. Like as you take guides with you when, when you're on a trip or, you know, you take these things. I mean, I think we're so used to like, oh, let me read a book and then be done with it. But it's like, yeah, I mean, read a book a couple of times, you know, because this isn't going to be yes. a two week journey. Yes. This is going to be, this is going to be a while. You're going to be here for a while, you know? Yes. Right. I mean, I have a bookshelf. You can't see it on camera, but full of that. I will never get rid of any of those books because that was my healing journey. And I still return back to them when I'm in a place and I'm like, let me just see what so-and-so has to tell me today. But <laughs> Yeah that the things in here are so practical and they're so doable. And I write in a way I've been told this many times. So I'm just going to own that is that I write in a way that is very understandable because a lot of people say when they read from other people, they're like, they get confused and it bores them and they, and they don't want to read on. I really wanted this to be a book that, that people had fun reading. So, you know, I have a sense of humor in there. I throw a couple of F-bombs out in there. Um, you know, it's just, I wanted to write this book strictly. This is Kristen Brown and who I am. And I wanted people to feel that warm feeling that as if they're sitting next to me, like I get you, I'm with you, you're going to be okay. And I, and I will say periodically through the book, all throughout the book, I am returning their power to them. I'm like, this is your, you get to do that. You know, this is who you are. This is, you know, so my dream, I guess I could say of what people get from this is they get a clearer understanding of where they were from, what they were doing, where they were living and where they can go. My hope is that they get hope and inspiration and they're like, wow, I can have a different experience. I had no idea. This is a thing and I can heal this. You know, because we're we're not, we're not here. We are not destined to have crappy relationships. We are not destined. There's no karmic cycle that someone's living out where you got to have a bunch of jerks before you can get your king or queen, right? There's no, there's no reason. All it is, is really knowing who you are and what you deserve and doing that through returning to the love of self. So when we really get into that place, we are going to organically show up different in the world, which changes our energy and we will attract differently to us. Plus we'll be able to hold our own better in relationships, right? Because I, you know, you look at, you know, you're owning people, please, or people think you're just this, you know, rolling around on the door, on the floor doormat. When I wrote my first book called from doormat to sweet empowerment, one of my hair clients came and picked up my book. She looked me in the face and she goes, you're not a doormat. I don't know why you wrote this. That's what she said to me. And I said, you know me as a hairstylist and a businesswoman. 
you don't know me on my internal world, on my personal worlds. And I'm like, yeah, yeah there's, I am a doormat, you know, that I was a door, but she just couldn't because I, when it comes to business, I have no problems, Andy. I was like, boop, boop, boop. But it came to fearing somebody didn't like me or fearing that, uh, you know, it was my fault or whatever. That's when I started to, or fearing they'd leave me, which is a big thing for people pleasers. People get afraid that people are going to leave them. So they don't stand up for themselves. So when it came to boundaries, I had no problem pointing out bad behavior, speaking about it and setting the boundary. Yet I stayed, right. I stayed and I stayed and I stayed and I stayed and I stayed. Mm-hmm. That was the problem. It's interesting about that, that client and, and I don't want to, you know, speak too much on that, but you get this feedback, like, and, and I'm saying you, I get this same yeah, feedback. We, we get this feedback and it's like, like, but you don't know, like, and I'm not saying like to that person, but just there's sometimes where you have like, ex, like external, you know, factors about yourself. Like I have some harder tendencies. I have some masculine tendencies, particularly in business and the way that I assert myself, I have absolutely been a doormat in relationships and, you know, nobody really gets to see the whole piece. And we also don't present the whole puzzle. Like we're not just like, Oh yes, by the way, here it is. So it's, it's great to show that vulnerability. And, and I love the, I love the, the way that, you know, you, you express being told about being relatable. Nobody, you know, like you present a concept to people what does that mean? You know, we connect through story, like human beings connect through story. In my experience, we connect through mm-hmm. story. And it, it's always helpful for me to read a story of somebody that's really been there and to say, okay, like this, this helps me understand my own experience so much deeper. So I thought that that was beautiful. Also, Tell me, well, well, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to. Keep in mind, too, that the word doormat, people pleaser, you know, codependent, all these words, these are just little human words that we're trying to apply to ideas and concepts and situations so that we can kind of get on the same page. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of fluidity in here. So I say coming at this from the recovering people pleaser, but uh, people with other behaviors that aren't quite people pleasing, they could still have that shame. They still still do have, if they have dysfunctional relationships, that shame and unworthiness embedded inside of them. So, you know, we're, we're bringing words to the table that we're trying to help people relate to so that they can, they can heal. But, you know, do I walk around all day going, I'm a recovering people pleaser? No, I don't relate to the identity of it. It's Mm -hmm. just, I had to I had to find a way to define what it was yeah. I was doing. Do you know what right. I mean? I was doormatty. I was, I was not standing up for myself, but you can't write a book that says the recovering person who doesn't stand up for themselves or sets a boundary, yeah. but doesn't hold yeah. the boundary, hyphen, 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 hyphen. You know, we have to come yeah. up with terms that just people can relate to, right? I, f- I feel that. I feel that a, a lot. And it also is, I think, speaks to our, um, you and I, and are and are not wanting to be victims to a thing. So like when you sometimes your identity can lump you into victimhood and also you want somebody to kind of understand what you're talking about. So you know, yeah. I, I deal with this with sobriety a lot because it's like I don't want to be lumped into the the victim recovery community. Um and at the same time there are people that are drinking that want to stop. So how do I, you know, how do I communicate? So it's good. Like I mean, I think that it's it's useful to use terms like that because everybody can kind of I identify a time like where they may have, you know, sacrificed what was best for them for the sake of the approval of someone else or, or all kinds of 
So there's there's so much that that comes with with these yeah, massive generalizations, exactly. even if they don't like apply specifically. Oh man, this was so good. Kristen, tell me about where everybody can find the book. We're in the end of October now. So when is the book coming out? Where can people get it? Okay. Um, so it is called The Recovering People Pleaser, a spiritual guide to reclaim your true worth and attract the love you deserve. And this will be available sometime in November of 2022. So next month, we're just in the formatting phase of publishing. So there's some going back and forth to make sure things are laid out right. And then there's time spaces in between. So we really don't have a date. However, people can go to my website at kristenbrown.org. And if you scroll down just a little bit on the first page, there'll be a sign up bar there where you can enter your email address and you will be notified when the book is available for purchase. And it will be available on all major book selling platforms and websites. Awesome. I am going to definitely put your website in the show notes of this episode, but for everybody that heard that, Kristen is spelled K-R-I-S-T-E-N, brown, B-R-O-W-N.org. And um, Kristen, where else can everybody find you? Well, if you go to my website, you'll, you'll have little links to all my socials, but I, you know, spend a little time on Instagram being very silly. Typically over there, I may, I may do an Instagram live or I make a a silly reel. (laughs) And, um, I spent some time on the wisdom social audio app and I also have a YouTube channel. So you can, you can find me basically all the major things. I don't do Twitter or LinkedIn. They just didn't ever jive with me. So I, I didn't do them. Um, but those are my main places people can find me. So if you go to my website, you'll have all the little icons at the top there to click on. Amazing. I'm so excited to read the book. Thank you so much for being on the podcast oh, today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andy. This has been absolutely tremendous. I feel so full and I just appreciate and love you so much. Thank you. The Recovering People Pleaser. A spiritual guide to reclaim your true worth and attract the love you deserve. That is Kristen Brown's new book. It's going to be coming out this November 2022. You can check Kristen out on her website, kristenbrown.org. Kristen, thank you so much for being on the Get the Fuck Off podcast today. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, you all can check me out on my website, getthefuckoff.com. If you would like to talk about anything, definitely reach out, Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com. You can listen to old episodes of the Get the Fuck Off podcast at getthefuckoff.com slash podcast. Uh, What else? What else can I tell you? Breakfree.getthefuckoff.com will subscribe you to Get the Fuck Off emails, which are amazing, if I do say so myself, if you're looking for more resources or reading. I'll be back next week. Until then, you guys take care, stay safe, and stay beautiful. Oh, 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 oh,